0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 10. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, Errata Sheet Tips and Traps, how to protect your right to submit changes in an Errata Sheet, and some background to put it all in perspective. Uh, Before we get started, by the way, thank you for listening. If you didn't catch the introductory episodes, I'm an actively practicing trial lawyer in Florida and Georgia. I've now taken or defended well in excess of 20,000 depositions in my career, and I've appeared as lead counsel in more than 1,000 federal lawsuits and a similar number of state court lawsuits. I currently practice in four federal districts, regularly in front of about 25 federal judges, and across two states on a regular basis in front of dozens and dozens of state court judges. I'm also the author of the book series 10,000 Depositions Later, and the author of the third edition, now at 450 pages, and titled 10,000 Depositions Later, The Premier Litigation Guide for Superior Deposition Practice. Over 35 years of practice, I've developed an incredibly deep pool of experience on deposition strategies and tactics, and that's the basis for the books and for this podcast. One last thing before we turn to the topic today. Please subscribe to this podcast, and we'd love to see you give us five stars to keep us going. The ratings make a huge difference across the board. It takes just a second, but it means a lot. Thank you. Okay, errata sheets. They come with every deposition, but many lawyers don't use them. I would say that perhaps one in a hundred depositions that I take or defend wind up with an errata sheet inside the back cover. When I see one, it's usually to correct typos. Sometimes I get errata sheets that clarify answers. Less often still, Sheets that change answers in a material way from what the witness actually said in the deposition. Now, I'll talk about other aspects of errata sheets in future episodes, such as when to challenge them, when to seek the redeposition of someone who's made substantial material changes to their original testimony, and so on. For today, it's about protecting your right to correct errors in the testimony through the use of an errata sheet. And by the way, as a footnote, those of you who have been regular readers of my practice guides know that I strongly recommend that you independently audio tape your depositions, specifically to allow your witnesses to more accurately and completely review their deposition testimony when the preliminary printed transcript comes from the reporter. All right, anyway, once the deposition's over and assuming it went smoothly, the next step is to await the transcript. If you reserved the witness's right to review the transcript before it gets certified and sent out, it's typically going to be a few weeks before you get it. From there, you'll typically arrange for your witness to review it and then timely return it with a properly completed errata Sheet if there are changes. Let's talk about that process. Erata Sheets, of course, are the blank lined pages at the back of the review copy of the transcript. It's where your deponent will note changes to the transcripts misspellings, grammar and punctuation errors, places where words were omitted, and sometimes substantive changes in their testimony. Now, there's great disagreement among lawyers and judges about the extent to which a deponent can correct or edit transcribed testimony. Some courts, many of them, say changes on an errata sheet are limited to correcting incorrectly transcribed answers. Other judges say that the rules impose no such limit, and allow for whatever changes the witness deems appropriate. I'll give you a site in a few minutes where the plaintiff's errata sheet was actually 63 sheets, 63 pages long, and containing nearly 900 changes to the witness's testimony. We'll talk about that. All right, transcript changes under Federal Rule 30E1. 30E1 is the source code for correcting or editing deposition testimony, and it says as follows, review statement of changes. On request by the deponent or a party before the deposition is completed, the deponent must be allowed 30 days after being notified by the officer that the transcript or recording is available, in which to A, review the transcript or recording, and B, if there are changes in form or substance, that's the language of the rule, to sign a statement listing the changes and the reasons for making them. All right, so the rule itself, as you can see from its text, expressly contemplates that there may be changes to both form and substance. But as I mentioned, courts differ sharply on the real meaning of that rule. Now, some courts read this language narrowly. They say that changes on an errata sheet may only be made where the transcript shows evidence of obvious confusion, where the contradiction is a result of court reporter error, or where the change does not materially alter testimony. Other courts take a broader view, and under that more expansive interpretation, some courts say, the plain language of Rule 30E1 does not place any limits on the types of changes that a deponent can make. And that's true. The rule clearly doesn't. So this much broader, more literal construction, some say, furthers the purpose of the discovery process by allowing parties to discover the true facts, whatever they are, and that it tends to reduce surprises at trial. You'll find an excellent overview of both viewpoints in a case titled Metal Conversion Technologies, LLC versus Environmental Integrity Company, 2016 Westlaw Law Northern District of Georgia, August 25, 2016. That decision contains some pretty good citations to decisions supporting both interpretations. Another great case on errata sheets is Ashcroft versus Welk, W E L K, Resort Group et al., 2017, Westlaw 518 uh, 0421. Federal case number is 2 16 CB 02978 JAD, District Court of Nevada 2017. And then finally, there's that decision I told you about earlier uh, in the case uh, involving what I call the mother of all errata sheets where the party made hundreds and hundreds of changes. That's Norellus, N-O-R-E-L-U-S, versus Denny's, Inc., 628, F3rd, 1270, 11th Circuit, 2011. By one judge's count in some of the reported decisions in that case, almost 900 changes in the testimony across 63 pages of errata sheets. Now, to be sure, the facts in that case are messy. To make a long story short, There was a challenge to the changes, sanctions awards by the district judge of more than $350,000, appeals, reversals, and lots of discussion among the various courts uh, that were involved about the propriety of those changes. It certainly was at the far end of the stick in terms of how errata sheets are used. On the other hand, the plaintiff in that case was a non-native English speaker. She was Haitian. And she had, apparently, multiple disagreements with the interpreter at the deposition about what she was actually saying. According to some of the reported decisions in that case as well, some of the changes in the sheets helped the plaintiff, some were neutral, and some actually hurt her case. So you've just got to read the various reported decisions in that case to see how it started and how it ended. But if you want a much more detailed discussion of the law of sheets and how courts view them, That's a good place to start. My personal view, put aside the debate about the extent to which you can make changes. Even if permissible, extensive changes to the transcript pose considerable risks, as you can imagine. Lots of changes will invite court suspicion and scrutiny, and it can also give your opponents with a powerful basis to impeach a witness who's made meaningful changes to the transcript, especially where the changes go far beyond grammar or obvious mistakes. Significant changes can also uh, lead to an order reopening your client's deposition if the changes, according to one court, quote, make the deposition incomplete or useless without further testimony, close quote. And that's from Sanford versus CBS Inc. 594 F-Sup 713 out of the Northern District of Illinois, 1984. All right, let me tell you about my approach When I realize I've got problem testimony, perhaps because my deponent made a good faith oversight, I clear it up while the deposition is still in progress. Put another way, I view the original transcript as my errata sheet. So if I sense that my witness has made a mistake, a good faith mistake in giving their answers or they forgot something critical, I clear it up through follow-up examination before the deposition ends. Otherwise, I'm just buying myself a whole lot of future headaches if I wait until that errata sheet comes to fix problems. All right, let's talk for a second about preserving your right to review the transcript once the deposition's done. The right to correct that transcript is not automatic, so you've got to strictly comply with the requirements of Federal Rule 30 or its state equivalent in whatever jurisdiction you practice. I'm not sure there are many lawyers that actually do go through the governing rule when they get an errata sheet from an opposing witness to look for potential technical flaws in how it was executed. And because most errata sheets are used legitimately, maybe it doesn't make a difference. When are technical flaws most likely to be an issue for you when you turn in your errata sheet? Well, first... Those flaws are more likely going to be used against you if, in fact, you have made significant alterations to the testimony that your adversaries need to keep out. The technical flaws are more likely to be an issue as well if exclusion of the errata sheet might tip the balance in the outcome of the case. If you have a judge, for example, who's looking for a way to dispose of the case and your pesky errata sheet has some technical flaws in it, those flaws might just do you in. All right, here are the five steps for getting it right. Under Federal Rule 30E1, first, you've got to request the right to review the transcript before the deposition ends. That's critical. If you wait a month after the deposition is done and then ask the reporter, the reporter may not allow you. And even if the reporter allows it, the judge can enforce the rule which says you had to make that request before the deposition concluded. Second, You've got to make the changes and return them to the reporter within 30 days after being notified that the transcript is ready for review. Third, under Federal Rule 30 E1B, the deponent has to sign the errata sheet. I sometimes get errata sheets that are not actually signed by the deponent. That's a technical flaw. Fourth, your deponent must list each change made to the testimony. That's rule 30 E1B. And fifth, this is another flaw that I frequently see, that opponent has to give the reasons for the changes. So you can't just list the changes. You have to explain the basis for each change. And if you fail to provide an explanation, or if your witness fails to provide an explanation, then they haven't satisfied that fifth element and they've baked in another technical flaw. So five distinct elements to the rule and it's helpful to think of them as five distinct traps. You only need to fall into one of them to forfeit your witness's right to make those changes and have them stick. Now, while well, most reporters will, just before ending the deposition, ask you, read or waive, not all do. And the rule expressly places the burden of preserving the right to review on you and the witness, not on the reporter. So if the reporter fails to inquire, and neither you nor the witness says anything— Your right to have the witness review has just been foreclosed. Similar traps lie for deponents who fail to review the transcripts within 30 days after being notified, who don't sign the errata sheet, who don't list each change and explain the reason for the change. Complete explanations have to be included. So, the failure to check off each of these threshold items may allow the judge to disregard your changes. Here's a good site for you. It's Rios, R-I-O-S versus Bigler, B-I-G-L-E-R, 67, F3rd, 1543, out of the Tenth Circuit, 1995. In that case, interestingly enough, the appellate court cited the appellant's inability to prove that she had requested the right to review the transcript before the deposition ended as a basis for refusing to overturn the trial court's decision. So... Very minor technical flaw, but it proved to be dispositive at the federal appellate level. And I'm pretty sure that absolutely no one anticipated that that technical deficiency in the errata sheet would be dispositive on appeal. All right, a couple of other pointers about errata sheets, and then we can wrap up. If you are quoting from a deposition transcript, uh, either to the court or uh, in drafting or responding to a motion, Be doubly sure that you check the errata sheets for each witness. Your court might roast you if a deponent made legitimate changes to the transcript that changed answers, and your papers instead incorrectly cite the original transcript. In a September 22, 2016 order, a defendant got called out for this precise problem, quoting inaccurate deposition testimony in a summary judgment motion that had been timely corrected in an errata sheet. So, be doubly sure to confirm the existence or absence of errata sheets uh, before using deposition testimony. The case is Prayer versus Ryan. Prayer is P R E A Y E R versus Ryan, 2016, U.S. District Court, Lexis 130472. The federal case site is case number 15069 PHX, District Court of Arizona, September 22, 2016. So you've got to pin that down. Is there an errata sheet? If you're not sure, call the court reporter. They'll be able to answer that question for you and get you the errata sheet if you don't have it in your files already. All right, another pointer. What if you need to challenge an errata sheet? If you're in a situation where you find uh, a correction sheet with substantive changes that might pose you problems such that you'd like to knock it out, first determine whether the deponent met all five criteria for submitting an errata sheet. If they didn't, and they often don't, you might have a basis to ask the court to exclude the errata sheet. And as you can see from the 10th Circuit decision I cited, sometimes that's dispositive. And if they do meet all the requirements, then check the cases in your jurisdiction to see if your courts take the narrower view and do not permit substantive changes to the transcript. One last pointer. What if your clients want to make extensive changes? What do you tell them In those circumstances, well, first caution them that making material changes could, at minimum, expose them to a second deposition about the modifications to the testimony. Cites on that include a case called Unlimited Resources, Inc. versus Deployed Resources, LLC, 75 Federal Rules Service, 3rd, 938, Middle District of Florida, 2010, and Daring, D-E-R-I-N-G, versus Service Experts Alliance, LLC, 69, Federal Rules Service, 3rd, 939, Northern District of Georgia, 2007. Second, let your witnesses know that many judges take a very dim view of changes and may not give them weight. Third, emphasize that the opposing party may use those changes to make them look dishonest through impeachment at trial by reading the original testimony and the changes in front of the jury point out that the original answers don't simply go away. Both the original version and the errata sheets are preserved. In fact, there are some judges that have required the reading of both versions of the testimony, even in the absence of a request from counsel. And that's what happened in the unlimited resources case I just cited. The federal judge allowed the substantive changes to the transcript, but had the parties read both the original testimony from the deposition and the corrective changes, and it wasn't pretty. Another case on point, Zimmer Technology, Inc. versus HowMedica, H-O-W-M-E-D-I-C-A, Osteonics, O-S-T-E-O-N-I-C-S Corp., 2009 Westlaw, 107-21285. Out of the Northern District of Indiana, same result as in the unlimited resource cases, the judge denied a motion to strike the errata sheet with multiple changes, allegedly at odds with the deposition testimony, but the judge allowed both the errata sheet and the original deposition testimony to be presented to the jury as a credibility issue. And that's a critical problem with the use of errata sheets is that you might just get what you asked for and it does create serious credibility problems when the jury can see the before and after uh, testimony given by the witness. Okay, that's a wrap. Once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe so that you automatically receive new episodes as they're completed and uploaded to wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many others.